This podcast is brought to you by flix.com.au, Australia's number one movie and cinema site. Welcome to The Take, The Mandalorian, a podcast after show of Star Wars live action TV series, The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. I'm your co-host, Blake Howard, and my co-pilot is none other than the amazing Lindsay Romaine. Lindsay. Hello. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. This oh. is going to be really exciting. Oh my God. We are at episode one of eight of the John Favreau executive produced Mandalorian series. Uh, we're at episode one of the Mandalorian series. Uh, I I cannot wait to dive into the show with you, Linz. But let's let's kick off um, really quickly um, with just a top line of the crew. So every episode we're going to be talking on the Mandalorian. We've got a couple of categories, a couple of segments of each of the different shows we're going to talk to you about. But let's kick off just with some pedigree information. This episode is directed by none other than the Clone Wars and Rebels and the Resistance's Dave Filoni, uh, the man who, uh, you know, most directly uh, was the Padawan of George Lucas. It is written by Jon Favreau. It stars um, a, a slew of, of different um, uh, creators. We've got Werner Herzog. We've got Carl Weathers. We've got an alien voice by Nick Nolte, or maybe dressed as Nick Nolte. Well, we'll I think Lindsay and I will dive into that um, a little bit further. <laughs> We've got another um, assassin uh, bounty hunting robot, a voice by Taika Waititi. Um, it's, it's really a, a kind of murderer's row. And then, um, obviously, Pedro Pascal as our Mando Mandalorian at the very center. Um, and it's the first episode of the series. It's 39 minutes in runtime. And uh, um, right off the bat, what are your initial thoughts, Linz? Because I, I, had a, I, had I had a terrific time in this really focused and, and just kind of like it felt like it was a series that was ready to let itself breathe. Uh, and find out what it is. Yeah, I was really surprised when I logged into Disney Plus this morning and saw that it was only 39 minutes long. I, I don't know why I was maybe expecting a little bit longer or something, but uh, I was kind of pleasantly surprised at that because I think it moves along at a nice, like, brisk pace. It didn't feel like there was anything too stuffed in there. You know, sometimes you watch shows that feel maybe a little overlong. I felt like it stuck, re- stuck really well to what it was trying to do and tell this, this really introductory story. And, yeah, it goes through all of these characters, many of whom we knew were going to be in the show, there were a few surprises here and there, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, yes. A couple of comedians that popped up that kind of surprised me, <laughs> yes, uh, which is, yeah, which is great. But yeah, it was really. I mean, I'm I'm glad that we right away got into like the Werner Herzog and Carl Weathers characters. I wasn't sure how soon we would meet those characters if they'd be in the the first episode or not. So yeah, it was just it was, it felt like every it kind of ticked off all the boxes that I was expecting of a pilot like this. Uh, yeah, and it was it was really exciting. It was a great thing to wake up to. <laughs> 39 minutes, as you said, like it is like just unheard of for a show to kick off like that in modern times. It feels like every single time we kick off a show, it's it's got to be. It's I think it's the Game of Thronesification of stuff. It's like every <laughs> pilot episode had to be like an hour, then an hour twenty, then like two and a half hour pilot, and you're like Jesus, like just cut this thing down into some episodes to make it manageable. But I was really stoked on. It's so punchy. It's so tight. There is no fat on this thing whatsoever. You are dived in situ into a you know a, you know in in 
in a, in a completed world um, and and sort of left to start to navigate the elements of that as you continue on. And and for me, that's what was started to really get exciting as we were you know as 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 this continued to build because it's like. All right, here we go. This is it knows exactly what it's going to be doing. It's 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 moving along, and that's and that's where we're at. So, you know, I was I was extremely impressed. The worlds, the texture of the show, and for anyone who's been a fan of especially Rebels, Clone Wars is a bit more cluttered. There's a lot of action in the frame, like it, as a show. Like it, you know, to talk really film geeky, it's like the 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 clutter of every frame, the mess on scene, as people might call it, is like it's it's there. But if you're a fan of Rebels, particularly like the it, it kind of flipped back into that mode of Star Wars stories where the universe is massive and not everything is Coruscant. Like not everything is like hundreds of buildings and things all around. It started to be this more sparse places, um, you know, little you know, little things, little bars on the outskirts of places, you know, worlds that have pretty oppressive landscapes so you've got to kind of have these underground bunkers and things like that to survive the elements and i was just like from second one i was like right in i'm like here we go this is this is a really um it's a it's a really great look um and the show kicks off with our mandalorian he comes and gets his first bounty um on an ice uh ice covered world and uh and it's Ubahasa. A tutor, Bando. Jispi Ubahasa Miyokola. He says you spilled his drink. Fine. It's on me. Sadari Beskar. Here. The, the, and what? I mean, we have to talk spoilers, so I'll just say right now, if you have not seen The Mandalorian, um, this is not the episode for you. You need to go back and watch that bad boy and then come and talk to us um, right after this moment. But for minute one, there is no uh, face to be seen. It is a Mandalorian helmet, and that is it, and we dive straight into him collecting bounties. Yeah, it's so exciting. It opens with this sort of classic Star Wars kind of bar cantina type place, too. And yeah, it's on this icy planet, which is it's interesting because the planet almost reminds me of Tatooine. It's got a kind of like, like you said, sparse feel to it um, and almost like a desert feel, even though it's quite literally ice. Uh, So I thought that was kind of cool. It's like a familiar setting of sorts, but also with a different, you know, weather than we've really seen. So uh uh, yeah, that was that was really cool. I liked the way that it felt like a Western, but, you know, outside there's <laughs> there's snow and stuff. And yeah, it immediately like brings you into that that scene. And, you know, we were following him. The music's very punchy and very Western feeling also. And it still feels familiarly like Star Wars. I felt like the music did. Um, yeah. Ludwig, yeah, really... Ludwig Göransson, Black Panther. Uh, yes. Black Panther and Creed extraordinaire on the uh, on the on the scoring of the series, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I struggle with Star Wars scores that aren't John Williams, just because I think sometimes people have a hard time kind of figuring out their way into the world that's not just totally copying him. And I feel like (laughs) the score 
really has its own vibe, but still feels like something that, yeah, is, is recognizably Star Wars. So yes, we, we kind of go right into this, this place, uh, Again, we don't know the name of the planet. I kind of like that there's some mystery to some of the stuff here. Um, yes. I, yeah, no, I feel like no it's a little... Ma- what are those stupid, like... Uh, and I think it's title like... Title cards. Yeah, the title <laughs> cards. And, like, I think the Russo brothers do this, like, the the most egregiously in um, yeah. in Civil War, where, like, the, the title of the place is so big that you can barely read it on an entire, like, <laughs> cinema screen. But, yeah, I like, right. not, I like not knowing because, you know, we learn yeah. the name of Tatooine, you know on Tatooine but you because right. we spent a chunk of time there you know you don't get told the names of every you know you didn't know Yavin 4 was Yavin 4 like you just never knew yeah. that until you're a Star Wars geek and you dove into the you know the incredible cross sections or the, the the forums and things like you didn't know that it just kind of they just went to new places and oh look it's a planet oh, it's a it's a it's a jungle planet we were just on a desert planet look at that here we go yeah and it also it feels more like of its genre, right? It feels more like a western when you're not seeing everything explained for you like on the the screen like that. So, yes. yeah. So it really it established that nicely. And then yeah, we right away jump into our first really cool cameo of the episode, which is the bounty that uh, Peter Pascal's Mandalorian is after is uh, this species called a Mithral, I believe, is what the subtitles told me. Yes. And uh, he's played by Horatio Sands of Saturday Night Live, yes, which it is. was I. I recognized him right away, and I was like, "Is that Horatio Sands?" Because I hadn't heard anything about him being on the show. So no, that was no, that I was, was really looking fun. at it, and I'm like, "I know that." Like in Australia, <laughs> I'm not as familiar with that, and I'm like, "I know that guy. I've seen sketches with that guy's face. I, I'm sure he's a sketch comedian." So later on, yeah, Horatio Sands, um, sort of weird uh, blue scaly uh, character that his glands smell very delicious, and uh, they're about to sort of. Uh, fillet him in front of the entire bar staff um but they don't fortunately uh which is nice um but uh our man our man mando he uh he gets him in there so horatio sands is our thing and then another comedian um uh plays you know just a a driver um which is brian per se uh, a couple of minutes yeah. not uh, not after that which is uh really fun yeah i actually did not recognize him weirdly <laughs> enough i've seen him live before and i didn't recognize him uh, i saw him tweet about it afterwards and i was like oh okay that makes sense i think i was so like taken aback by the Hor- horatio sands and i was kind of like i, oh, I missed no. this, this other me, guy i was like it's brian that's uh, f- the first thing i thought was like if that's not brian Posehn, that is the most brian Posehn person ever <laughs> like they literally wrote on the casting sheet we want someone who yeah. looks like brian Posehn on hoth in this yeah. speeder, in this cruddy speeder, as like an intergalactic Uber driver, um, which which is really fun. Yeah, and that also leads us into kind of another, I guess, character on the show, which is the Razor Crest, the ship uh, that that the Mandalorian, Peter Pascal's Mandalorian pilots, uh, and which was teased a lot in some of the promotional stuff. I know they talked about it a lot at Celebration when I was there. So I feel like that's going to be a ship that we we spend a lot of time with and is going to come to feel kind of like the Millennium Falcon of this series, probably. Yeah, it's it's, and I love the look of the Razor Crest too, because it is, yeah. it's, it's like... It's, it's kind of got the clean lines, some of the stuff that Lucas talked about in episode one, like where you're at the peak of the Republic and everything's like really pristine and especially Naboo cruises have got all those smooth lines, but then it's starting to get that practical bulkiness that we associate with like smugglers. And so it's kind of very clean, but it's got, it's taken its sheen off uh, somewhat, but no, it's, uh, 
I love when you can feel a little confined, you know, space caravan that it is. You know, I love when you can feel it um, as you're in there, and uh, and it's it's definitely got its own stuff and its own carbonite chamber, yeah. um, onboard carbonite chamber. Who who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? It also has its own toilet, which I think was the first time I've seen a toilet in a Star Wars ship before. Holy, so. holy ship, indeed, um, that a yeah. Star Wars has a toilet. And, uh, and, and yeah, Horatio Sands' uh, character was talking about evacuating his glands after X amount of months, I believe, is, uh, is what he was talking about there. But, no, it's, it's, it was such a, cool, such a cool thing to see that. And also... Uh, not afraid to get, um, not afraid to show some new alien species and some new gnarly things that uh, Pedro Pascal's Mandalorian uh, just kind of shrugs off, like a giant alien eel monster that flies yeah. out of the water and clutches um, uh, onto the bottom of the ship's landing gear and almost doesn't allow <laughs> them to take flight. Yeah, that's so cool. I always love when big monsters pop out of like nowhere in Star Wars. It's one of my favorite things. So uh, that was great. And yeah, it wasn't a species I recognized. I didn't, I kind of furiously tried to like look up and see if that was something that's been in Star Wars before, but I don't think it was. The same as Horatio Sands Mithral, I believe, is a new species also. So that's really cool. Like, you know, I feel like there's a lot of familiar characters, especially in that opening cantina scene. We see like a Quarren, which is, um, you know, a, f- a familiar species, the squid kind of yeah, squid, squid tentacled squid guy. Squid tentacled face, yep. Yeah, yeah, but it was nice to also get these new additions to canon. Um, and what yeah. is it, what what a race or species is Bosk? Because Bosk is like a real traditional bounty hunter character that we were introduced to in Empire Strikes Back when Darth Vader enlists Boba Fett. And so yeah, he's bo- a, yeah. What's what's his uh, species called? He's a, a Trandoshan. Yeah, Trandoshans so, yeah. are all through the bounty yeah. hunting um, uh, ranks here. I was really stoked to see some of those guys because I'm like, oh my god. It's Bosk. Like, it immediately, yeah. obviously it wasn't, but um, uh, later, it, and we saw a tease in some trailers, some Trandoshans and Mando um, go head-to-head at other parts of the series, so that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, I was really excited. Also, uh, growing up, Bosk was my favorite just because he looks like a dinosaur. Yeah, so uh, he's like a walking <laughs> dinosaur. And, 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 yeah. that, and that iconic scene of, like... Bounty hunters. We don't need that scum. Yes, sir. Those rebels won't escape us. Sir, we have a priority signal from the Star Destroyer Avenger. Right. There will be a substantial reward for the one who finds the Millennium Falcon. His foot hanging over, like his foot hanging over, as the as the Imperial um, officer is there, is like looking up, like, oh, well, I can't believe we're using bounty hunters, the bounty hunters yeah. to find these people. <laughs> yeah, that's such such a cool scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really exciting. Uh, So, yeah, immediately we're just kind of seeing new things, but also kind of feel, you know, like we're vibing with stuff that we know from Star Wars. And then, yeah, that's when we go with the Razor Crest to uh, Carl Weathers, the first time we see Carl Weathers' grief carga, uh, which... I was super stoked to see Carl Weathers. He's, oh, man. You know, obviously. I'm such a monstrous yeah. fan of Carl Weathers in everything. I mean, if you don't immediately know the name, I can't imagine that you don't. But if you don't, it's Apollo Creed. It's <laughs> it's um, it's Dylan from Predator. And if you've got both of those things on your list, then that's um, that's enough in a career, really. Um, yeah, no, I love Grieve Cargo. And, um, you know, this is where it sets up the guild of essentially bounty hunters and he's running uh, a whole crew of bounty hunters and mando is you know that selfish loner um which we've come to expect and come to sort of 
be happening in the series and and his interaction with grief is like here's your bounties um and tries to offer him a few others that are coming up and then finally uh, when all of the money for all of the different bounties uh you know wasn't enough for him to take away without you know sort of giving some other work to some other um uh, to some other people in the guild uh we get led off to the client a a monstrous fee for something very special, a very special mission, a very difficult mission um, that has to be dealt with in the old way, uh, which uh, is face-to-face, uh, face-to-face leading up to that. So um, a very, very cool little scene. Carl, loving to see Carl Weathers in the series, loving to see this. And I just also love that, you know, uh, it's quite a laconic series. Not everyone's saying too much. They're just saying exactly mm-hmm. enough to keep things moving forward. Yeah, I will say I was really happy that it didn't feel too bogged down by like explanations and stuff right away. That's something that can really bother me in a in a pilot. Sometimes I think they want to, you know, sometimes establish what's happening and they get a little too dialogue heavy or, or too over explaining. So I do really like that this, you know, I think sparse is a word we keep using, but I do think this pilot's nice and sparse with that. We don't learn too much about Grief Karga. We don't really see him that often, but or that much, but I'm sure we'll see more of him as the series goes along. And yeah, I like that mystery for now. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm a big fan of just we don't even know his name either. This is the the, the cool thing yeah. about what what you guys are going to be listening to with us is you know, Lindsay and I are going to ferociously go and Google the internet away to try and find out all of the details to sort of unpack what it is. But it's really nice to just sort of be sitting in and, and experiencing the show and going, I don't need to know who these people are yet. And yeah, when I do, yeah. I will find, I, when I do, we're going to find out much more. And by the end of the series, I'm sure we're going to dive into it. But I like the introductions where you don't need to know their name yet. You just know that he's a boss. You know that he's in charge. You know that he commands respect, especially with the way that the echoes of that exchange, everyone in the entire establishment is looking at grief and looking at the Mandalorian and looking at making sure that everything's all good and waiting for his signal to say whether things are good or bad um, before he uh, gets enlisted to go off and do this new job for this new client. Yeah, there's also a nice little bit of like exposition kind of like worked into his moment, which isn't too showy, like we were saying, but, you know, he tries to first pay Mando with uh, Imperial money. And, you know, he rejects that. He says, you know, the Empire's dead. And he says, well, it's still, you know, you can still use this in certain parts. So it kind of teases that there's still empirical, you know, remnants in this part of the galaxy, this outer rim kind of area. So we know that there's still people that are dealing with the money, you know, uh, not to spoil what comes next, but we, we see some stormtroopers and stuff. So we know that there's definitely that that's still something that exists and it never comes right out and talks about it, but it's hinted at. Yeah, I, I love that how definitive Mando is and how Craig's response, a uh, Grace's response rather, and Carl Weathers' response is just like, no, there's still something around. There's still yeah. something <laughs> kicking. And so it's kind yeah. of like, it's nice to, it's nice to have that mix, that mix between the two. And yeah, so without further ado, I mean, we were talking mm-hmm. about being so ridiculously excited about this series for many reasons, but one of them was Werner Herzog. And so the client for our Mando just happens to be Werner Herzog himself. And he is some kind of imperial, uh, uh, I don't know what he is, like dignitary or something like that. And mm-hmm. around surrounding him um, is a, a guard of four very tattered, very battle-scarred <laughs> looking stormtroopers um, um, where, there, where there's an exchange um, with the Mandalorian. He gets his new client. He gets paid 
and we'll talk about payment in a moment, but he, he gets paid for a ridiculous amount for a job that is or is and has been seemingly impossible to to squash for a lot of people because this this entity he's going after is 50 years old. It's on a planet. They know the last origin. He has a tracking beacon for that, that is matched to this thing's DNA. Um, and so he's like, I can give you about that much information, but that's all I've got so far. You know, this isn't going to be easy, but someone of your talents should be able to take it. Such a great scene. Mm-hmm. So, so, so cool. And then we come into like what the currency potentially can kind of be, which is that, you know, um, me- special Mandalorian um, metal um, has been fashioned into Imperial credits, which is probably the most affronting thing uh, uh, in the episode that you get to learn a little bit back and, and cast your eyes back to the Mandalorian's, you know, past. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's so much going on in this scene. This is where I uh, have a little bit of privilege in that I saw this exact scene at Celebration earlier this year. So I saw this whole sequence. I saw the Carl Weathers scene before it too and this Werner Herzog stuff, but I didn't have any of the context. So we didn't really like... You know, yeah, know, didn't know where, where it, it fell in the, the series, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and didn't really know like what yeah came before it or after. So, and I think there were some details maybe obscured a little bit. So uh, we didn't know the exact mission and everything. But um, yeah, so watching it today, I was like, oh, it's cool to see this and to kind of know what's going on. Um, and yeah, it's there's there's so much intrigue in that moment. Seeing the stormtroopers is really eerie. They're kind of like like you said, they're dirtied up. They almost look like they have like paint splatters and stuff. Or I don't know, they just look like they've been through hell. Uh, and I'm sure they have in this time since the empire fell. And I also wanted to mention um, there's the character Doctor Pershing, I believe is his name, who uh, is also joined with uh, with Werner Herzog's character, who's only referred to as the client. Yes, and. This doctor character, when they're discussing this bounty that uh, that Peter Pascal is going after, mentions he, he's really enthusiastic that he wants it to be kept alive. Yes. And Werner Herzog's character doesn't seem to care as much if it's alive. So I think that's an interesting thing. Like, why does this doctor want this thing alive um, versus why no one else seems to care? Obviously, there's something in, in there. So, yeah, there, there's so much in this scene and it doesn't really again tell us too much and then yeah we get the the beskar steel which is the mandalorian armor and it's something that it was referenced earlier in the episode in the cantina scene at the very beginning um the the guy that you mentioned uh, in the bar asks um the mandalorian character if his you know uniform is made of the steel and then he scrapes something against it and we see that that it gets marked and that's not Beskar Steel. It can't no. be marked that way. So we realize he doesn't actually really have a part of this already in his costume. I believe his helmet is his is helmet's Beskar, the only not. thing that's the Beskar at the beginning yeah. of this, at uh, the beginning of the show. Yeah, yeah. So we, it's kind of reintroducing. Yeah, we see its forges and this imperial thing, which is really kind of gross because it's the sacred metal. Uh, I don't if you know the lore behind it of the Mandalores. Yes. It's this this metal that's very important to their culture and stuff. So, and of course yeah, the, Imper- and the Imperial usage for it is to steal it and then stamp yes. it with Imperial things and use it as currency, despite whatever uh-huh. sacred thing that it may have to that culture. So it's like, a, it's actually that little touch really triggered some cool stuff for me of like, Oh, like yeah. if this series can do anything to talk about the impacts of the Imperials on the cultures around and like how this, you know, colonizing power had this influence to 
blow apart different cultures. You know, in in part, we've learned about Wookiees and you know how they blew out Kashyyyk to do what they're going to do. We've seen the destruction of Jeddah in Rogue One. We've seen lots of different examples of this, but it hasn't been distilled down. I think, in, in a way, you know, and, and we're talking about you know. Star Wars going to series is something that its its biggest competitor in science fiction being Star Trek has like lived in series and been able to like take the more complex things that the show could do and sort of expand it into longer forms of storytelling. And I think that's what I'm really excited about here is because we've only been able to see that in chunks in different mm-hmm. films and, and things like that or in, and now later in the animation shows. But I think here Star Wars as a series, as a live action series, is starting to like, touch onto those things which is like oh these this the depths of its evil is sometimes just it we've seen it in the sith but it's like just actually bureaucracy you know it's it's bureaucracy and and taking away people's cultures and not understanding them and doing it on a intergalactic scale yeah absolutely and that's what makes the next sequence so powerful is that there's kind of this bit of reclamation of culture for this character who we don't know much about him yet we see some flashbacks and certain things are touched upon but yeah, I, I found this next moment where he kind of goes, you know, he's accepted this this task and he's going to go try to find this mysterious 50-year-old character. And, you know, he takes the the Beskar seal, the hunk that the, the, the client gives him, and he takes it to this, I guess, this sort of Mandalorian den. <laughs> it's yeah, like it, it, this... it is. It's like it's like a final little, you know, like cultural pocket. I imagine it's like where yeah. people talk about like Chinatown or Koreatown and yeah. stuff like that. It's like this little pocket of culture. And sort of in in amongst the main main city, but off the beaten track, where Mandalores are still, you know, wearing their armor and 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 honoring their culture. Um, and he goes to an armorer played by Emily Swallow, whose character name that we know is the Armorer. Um, and yeah. so, and we never again, in keeping with the rest of the show, we never see her face as a Mandalore. Um, and uh, he goes and gets uh, adorned with one new piece of armor. Yeah, he gets a pauldron for his shoulder, which he gets to wear. And yeah, she she makes it for him. I like to call her the Woman Delorean. <laughs> you know. Yeah, she is. That's... She's got a badass helmet too. Really cool. Yeah, yeah she's really cool. I, I hope we see more of her. She was the character I think I was like the most excited about after coming out of this, just because I I wasn't aware that she'd be in it. And I love a good mysterious armorer type of character. Yeah. It also feels very westerny to me. And and, uh, and it. And as a show, like, it gives us this great thing of, like, oh, at some different points in this show yeah. slash series, we're going to come back to her. Like, it's, like, totally. it's it's, all, it's almost self-evident, but it's, like, a nice little, like, nice little morsel, like, at the beginning of the series to be, like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to keep going forward here and we're going to have these characters. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's also the first time in the this um, episode where it felt kind of fantasy to me, too. Like, the forging of this piece of armor, it felt, it almost reminded me of, like, Lord of the Rings, like, Aragorn's sword being yes. forged. It's kind of this, like, almost cheesy moment, but it's very much like, you know, our character getting this very important piece of metal <laughs> handed off to him and, and reforged for him. So it kind of brings in the fantasy aspect of Star Wars also. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. All right. So we now... Oh, one other little thing Ooh. in that scene, um, which I I don't know. We've been debating this in my office at Nerdist and uh, I've seen other people online, but there's a really brief shot in the background where you can see a character who looks like he's wearing Boba Fett's armor. Yes. Uh, it's in the shadows. And it's hard to tell, but it has the same dent on his uh, 
kind of on his armor where Boba Fett has it. So that opens up a whole lot of questions. Yeah, too. I saw that. I saw that and I felt like it was a red herring. And I actually did the yeah, whole like be. pause, like really look up close. Is that what I think it is? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, look, I think, yeah, we're, we're, I think there's more, there's maybe more to that. There's maybe more to that later, but I think it feels like yeah. it happened so quickly that it, it felt like a bit of fun, like, ooh, look, little red herring yeah. for you. But it's definitely not the biggest surprise of the show, um, as we'll, no, as, no, as we'll no. come to discuss. <laughs> so, look, we take we take off, we come off of this, the, the, the planet, um, which is the same planet uh, shared by Grief Karga and now this mysterious client, this sort of more centralized outer rim planet. We don't really know too much about it. It has the under, underground Mandalore um, uh, folk. It's not the ice planet. But then we head to this desert planet um, where um, Quill um, is uh, voiced slash perhaps played by Nick Nolte because it's, it's almost mm-hmm. unrecognizable if it is actually played by Nick Nolte. Um, uh, it, it is, it is a guide of sorts for Mandalor- uh, for the Mandalorian who comes to this planet, which is the destination planet of his, of his um, mark uh, as his bounty. Um, and he has to learn how to ride this dewback looking thing, like with t- tiny T-Rex arms and a giant face. Actually, it's like a giant tadpole that has <laughs> massive teeth. It's called a blurg, uh, blurg. which actually... <laughs> the most yeah, blurg they... looking thing of all time. Yeah, it's literally called a blurg. Uh, it first appeared in Ewoks, the Battle for Endor, uh, oh which was a God. non-canon. Somewhere at the end of the galaxy, two friends were about to say goodbye. What's wrong? Until the forces of evil threatened their lives. Don't look just run fast, run. And together, they face an incredible adventure beyond imagination. There's no escape for you, my little one. I have hope. Thing. Yeah, and then it was canonized by Dave Filoni in the Clone Wars and Rebels. So it's actually a creature that's popped up in lore kind of a lot. So I was, I was gonna say, like, I didn't realize it was that. I think it was familiar to me from from Rebels. Now that you say it, but I can't. I couldn't remember yeah. it from Battle of Endor. Oh my god, that's how many years it's been since Battle of Endor. I couldn't even remember that <laughs> yeah. it existed. There. That's so amazing. The blurg. I actually. I didn't realize it originated there. I recognized it from Clone Wars and Rebels. But, uh, yeah, when I looked that up today, I was like, oh, cool. I didn't realize that, you know, that's one of those Dave Filoniisms that kind of worked its way. Of course. And episode. he's the director of the episode and an EP on the series. Mm-hmm. So he would have loved to get some of those in there. So they, this is the only way to travel across. Now this is much more of a, a you know, it feels like a tatooine Star wars landscape here. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're traveling across, you know, it is a completely lush um, uh, uh desert uh, lush but lush in production quality but it is sparse um desert planet lots of crags and and cracks um and mm-hmm. uh, uh Khalil and Blurgs um in tow travel um along the way and it's a couple of great little exchanges around you know this this seemingly native guy who's out there helping the Mandalorian and he sort of gets asked why and it's because for whatever reason, these targets, this bounty that's here, have caused brought nothing but death and destruction to his world, um, and so he's kind of like helping out in the hopes um, and and via reputation of a Mandalorian that he can actually come and take them out and then bring peace back to the area. So this is a really conflicted little thing of like people having to cast away their their morality <laughs> in order to mm-hmm. maintain peace in these outer rim worlds because it's not seemingly as like policed and as protected as uh, some of those inner rim places 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm really curious about this character, too. I wonder if we'll see him again. Uh, I believe he's an Ugnaught, which is another Star Wars race we've seen in. Ugnaughts. Bespin, 100%. Uh, I didn't yeah. know if he was an Ugnaught or if he just looked like an Ugnaught. So I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I hadn't had a chance to research yet. Yeah, I don't know either. I would assume so. He looked a lot like one to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know what, where that place is at, if that gives us any clues as to like what this planet is or whatever. But yeah, he was... He was really fun, and and obviously, I mean, sorry to Nick Nolte, kind of looks like Nick Nolte. He's this, <laughs> yeah, this I don't know if it's, an, like if it's Nick Nolte dresses an Ugnaught or if it's an Ugnaught that's designed <laughs> in the likeness of Nick Nolte, but either way, it's awesome. Right, right, yeah. Uh, I was really excited to see him, and yeah, it's definitely like this planet kind of reminded me of Jeddah almost a little bit yes. too from Rogue One. It's got these kind of like almost red hills and stuff. Uh, yeah, I like how Star Wars just always has to have like one. We need one, one new desert, planet. One, desert planet. We yeah. need a desert planet somewhere. Somewhere, right. somehow, there has to be some desert. And so yeah. the Mandalorian storms, uh, storms an extremely well manned and positioned bunker of sorts, um, along with uh, Taika Waititi's IG 11 um, assassin bounty hunting robot. Um, and they take out a stack of folks to get into this bunker to um, to to capture slash liberate their bounty. And it's a, it's a very, very cool little action scene. Um, and Taika Waititi is fun as a robot for, for a couple of minutes. And for those of you, spoilers once again, of course the show has been progressively spoiling every element of it. Um, but <laughs> the, the, uh, the IG-11 uh, robot from Taika Waititi comes in, is hilarious, attempts to several times self-destruct, and then eventually has his head blown off. <laughs> yeah, he's a lot of fun. I was really surprised actually that he went so quickly because I just they kind of hyped this character up a lot. He's in Huge, the trailers right? a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Taiko Atiti, so I think we're all expecting him to be like kind of a main. I thought he was going to be kind of like the Alan Tudyk maybe of of the series. Yes. And then yeah, Huge highlight just... by the way for any, everyone out there. Alan Tudyk's uh, robot from Rogue One is the highlight of that movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I was expecting him to be kind of that that type of character in the show but i was you know pleasantly surprised that he kind of went right away just because it's that kind of fun surprising star wars thing that you like i also wanted to mention i think the creatures that they're mowing down to get into this uh this sort of bunker area are nictos which are in canon employed by the huts so that might be kind of a clue as to as to who's maybe running this (laughs) this area and maybe yeah, maybe some other creatures that'll pop up at some point. So. All, right, all right, because everything else now is leading to one of our segments of the week, um, uh, which which we'll which we'll get to, um, which I'm calling Lindsay Romaine, I am your father, the surprise of the week. So we won't get to that just this minute, but let's before we before we start the downhill wrap up of the show this week, uh, the of of this episode of the Take the Mandalorian, um, let's talk about. Uh, the uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge L337 uh, destination of your week. So we've had three destinations um, in the show. Which is your favourite this week? Lindsay Romay. Excuse me. Get your presumptuous ass out of my seat. I think I'm most intrigued by the planet where we find Werner Herzog and uh, Carl Weathers, just because I, I feel like we're going to return to that place a lot. Yes. Uh, it's Like you said, it has that Mandalorian kind of hub and there's there i feel like there's a lot that we can learn about bounty hunters and whatnot in that spot so i would say that's the one that 
that intrigued me the most this week. Definitely, I'm 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 all about that. I like I like that there's a centralized hub somewhere that still feels very sparse and disconnected, and so that tells me that there's. You know, there's lots of different peoples who've run away and, and, and intentionally from the from imperial, you know, from the imperial sort of scourge of the galaxy, and they sort of run away and they've developed their own little community. So I'm really excited to see who else we meet there, um, and the different cultures because, uh, yeah, me too. I, I, I'm a huge fan of that entire series. So that's that's that. Who's your cantina alien of the week? Thank you. We're the Cantina Band. If you have any requests, shout them out. Play that same song. All right, same song. Here we go. I think it's, uh, you know, saving the the one that we'll talk about soon. Um, I think my Cantina Alien of the Week is probably the Corrin that we see at the very beginning. I was just excited to see that species. It's been teased in the in the promotional stuff. He's the one that gets kind of cut in half by the door. Oh, look, uh, the Corrin characters, any, I mean, look, and this is, it's so, it made parts of the Caribbean, you know, one of the most yeah. successful monetary series of all time. When you've got an alien with octopi sort of tentacles off one's <laughs> face, um, Futurama style as well. Uh, yeah, no, the Corrin was it was huge for me. My brother used to um, had all this seventy seven and obviously through to eighty three original Star Wars figures. We did have a Corrin. He was one of my favorite characters. I was super excited to see him. But also a big shout out to the Bosk aliens um, who we yeah. saw in the Cantina. Um, you know, just you know, brotherhood of Bosk um, uh, out here. Um, huge <laughs> fans of Bosk. Um, but uh, uh, let's let's get to the absolute clangor of a surprise of the week uh we we are going to spoil the living daylights out of uh, the mandalorian uh for folks who are listening to this show but i just want to say again we we won't pretend that you've seen further into the series as we go back we'll only talk um what we know from what we've seen screened so we'll be very careful about that um but i mean i think in other episodes this might be a harder question what was your favorite surprise of the week but Lindsay, <laughs> the surprise of the week has to be our bounty yeah, uh, I think no one was really expecting a baby Yoda to be at the end of this I episode. Mean... Will you finish what he begins? I won't fail you. I'm not afraid. Yeah. You will be. You will be. Not Yoda himself, but a species of uh, a baby species of Yoda. So, yeah, that when they, you know, when we see that the whatever this bounty is is going to fit into this little kind of almost orb like yeah, structure, I was like, yeah, I was like, what is this going to be? And and then yeah, he and, he and opens IG eleven because we hadn't said it yet. IG eleven yeah. and and Armando survive, um, you know, with a, with a few. Um, with a few bad shots for IG-11, but survive to to get into this bunker where the bounty is. And IG-11, as as a droid, as a robot, is just like, no, we'll kill the bounty because this is what we've got to do. Um, and Mando blows his head off um, to stop him. And so in that moment, we're like, what is going on? What kind of, what could this thing be? And it sort of gives this moment of compassion to him. And when it turns around and it's like, what looks like a baby Yoda, like the same coloring. Yeah. So it, it, it actually was like a clangor of like, holy shit, what the hell is this series going to be is a big question we've had. And when you see stuff like that, it's like, oh, man, like the balance of the force, the emergence of things to, to right the ship um, has been a huge question, in especially the new trilogy um, and has been, you know, 
Ryan Johnson, obviously, but Dave Filoni, for folks who, who know him as like the Padawan of George Lucas, you're like, this touch came in. I was like, oh, this is just perfect. This is just great. Yeah. I think that's when I got really excited. You know, I liked the episode up until this point, and I, I do like the kind of gunslinging, you know, bounty hunter side of Star Wars, but I I can't lie and act like the kind of mythos, you know, Jedi mythology stuff isn't what really, really makes me love Star Wars. And yes. so to see that brought in here at the end, um, I mean, we don't know that this character is a, a Jedi or Force-sensitive or anything, but, you know, when you see a Yoda-like creature, you yeah. kind of... that. If it, that's if it looks like a Yoda, was. it's like that. If it quacks like a duck... <laughs> It walks yeah, like it's yeah. a duck. It's a duck. And if it quacks like a Yoda and looks like a Yoda, it's like, <laughs> oh, there's a force, you know, there's there's and and something that the Empire wants to manipulate. It's it's yeah. it, it starts to tie back to, you know, that squashing and harnessing of, of force powers to for for the worst ends possible. It's it's very much in the Imperial wheelhouse to to be doing yeah. that. You know, they stole, you know, Jedi you know, Jedi crystals to make the Death Star and 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 all those all those things that they've done in all of the times that they've uh, been messing with the Republic. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, I was just so stoked on that moment for for the series because yeah. it shows a bit of compassion. You know, some some of the criticism I've seen is like some people are going to find it tough, and it was just a good acknowledgement. Some people are going to find it tough to really relate with the character when you don't get to see their face, um, mm-hmm. especially the lead character. But I tend to think that, especially in the reflective nature of the Mandalorian's helmet, it's like you get to project a lot about what you think, you know, this nameless gunslinger character can be. And so the morality of the situation um, and, you know, his connected, you know, his connections with his culture and those things really started to resonate and, and sort of jump through. And I think Dave Filoni is a guy who made you love clones um, for you know multiple series, and so um, we didn't need to see their faces in all of those series to get to to like them. Um, and so I think that that was a, a good touch for having him directing the episode. And and you know if anyone's a fan of um, uh, for people who who don't like you know who people who actually enjoy a, a, a faceless performance, you don't need, don't need to look any further than V for Vendetta with Hugo Weaving, who delivers like a gestural performance that is just so like majestic and unreal, but you never get to see his face. You never get to see V. And I think that that's what's really, what I'm really liking about this series is the potential of like, and the, and, and the sort of, you know, the, the boldness to, to not go that far. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've seen a lot of people kind of wonder like why you cast somebody who's so recognizable like Pedro Pascal and you know just to to put him in armor and I I think I think people really yeah do kind of forget that so much of acting is it's not just your face it's your body and your you know the way that you're able to emote through stuff like that is a whole up like extra skill set and I think something that is really powerful I think you know we've seen it a lot in the past in musicals and in silent films and stuff, you know, actors really learn to use their body to express these things. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do with that kind of, you know, skill set, definitely. And then I also think, yeah, well, you can kind of project different things onto the character in this episode. We see that flashback, which is presumably him as a child being torn from his parents. And then now there's this other orphan character that's you know i think he can kind of relate to him i'm guessing that's sort of what we're supposed to take away from that moment and uh yeah i think that's when it went from like a fun western star wars show to like something kind of like beautiful to me i was like this is going to be a really touching thing because i'm assuming it'll be something you know the scene that the episode ends with him kind of touching fingers almost like et with this little yoda baby and I think it kind of shows that he's got some sympathy and might be protecting this guy from 
these people, these nefarious men who want to destroy him or use him in some way. So, yeah, it's there's so many possibilities of where this can go. And I'm also really excited because, you know, another thing with this the species, I mean, famously, George Lucas has been really cagey about talking about what kind of species Yoda is. He's never alluded to it. In fact, he's always been like, it's a mysterious character intentionally. So and we don't need to know where he's from. And that's part of the allure. The only other character that we've seen of the same species is Yaddle. Yaddle, who was on the original, you know, on the Jedi Council in episode one, and then never seen from again. Yeah. And in Legends, there are other characters like this. They're also all force sensitive. So I think it kind of implies that maybe this entire race of of little green people uh, is all has some kind of powerful force connection. So I'm really intrigued to see. Yeah, I think that's the Dave Filoni popping out. Like you said, he's George Lucas's the closest thing he has to a Padawan. And I think he'll be the one to really deliver on that. I don't know how much how many answers we will get about the species. It might remain something mysterious, but uh, I'm just I'm really curious to learn more. Who's the force with this week? I think the force is with Dave Filoni this week. He's my MVP of the week. Um, seeing him direct a live action feature um, and still, despite the fact that it's so Favreau written and has um, you know he's he's sort of crafted this series, it feels like they they are completely in sync as a writer director team. But I'm, I'm going to say I already knew how good uh, John Favreau was in the live action. I had no doubt, but um, I was really impressed with uh, with with Filoni in this one as a, as a as a director, as a fi- as a filmmaker, essentially a 39 minute filmmaker, um, but uh, making live action. I was really impressed. What about you, Lance? Yeah, he's definitely mine as well, not to copy you. But uh, he, yeah. he, when I was watching it this morning, you know, I woke up early to watch it. I was, you know, exciting Disney Plus launch day. It feels like Christmas. And uh, <laughs> and I was a little bit kind of watching it through the eyes of it's some, you know, when we watch these things, sometimes if we're people who write about this stuff or, you know, talk about it on podcasts, you almost watch it analytically at first. You're kind of just like, looking for things you're almost a fan second um sometimes it happens and so that was kind of happening with me and then when uh you know it says directed by dave filoni at the end i felt emotional (laughs) (laughs) he's this guy who's created some of my favorite star wars and who yeah we've never kind of seen occupy this space in the fandom before he's you know done a lot of animated wonderful stuff and and you know He's just he's created this sort of beautiful lore in Star Wars. And so just to see that expanded upon, I just I felt like a proud mom. (laughs) (laughs) From proud adoptive parents and co-pilots of the Take the Mandalorian series on flicks.com.au. I myself, Blake Howard and my co-pilot, Lindsay Romaine. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of the take the mandalorian chapter one um we'll be back after the next episode you can find us in the regular the take podcast feed if you haven't already please subscribe rate review like share everything helps and if you are uh, a fan of the show and you want to read out all of our show notes and our recommendations check out flicks.com.au until next week may the force be with you may your wretched hives of scum and villainy only be on your screens on disney plus and not around you and It wouldn't be the end of a Star Wars podcast without engaging with the number one word that's on everyone's lips. This podcast is brought to you by flicks.com.au, Australia's number one movie and cinema site.